Hi guys, we today are starting our, our new series, Jesus is Bigger Than You Think. And I want to start today with a challenge. Don't mistake Jesus for being too small. Imagine you've ordered a, a rocking chair off the internet and you've gone on, you've searched and you've found uh, a great looking rocking chair uh, and the picture looks beautiful and the price is amazing. You think that's, that's a bargain. And you order it and it gets delivered and it comes not in the back of a lorry, but in a small box. And you open it up and there's this tiny rocking chair that would suit your hamster, but in no way will fit a, a full grown human. Sometimes we can do things like that. We can order them on the internet and they are you know, far smaller than we expected. We can mistake Jesus for being not too big, but for being too small. Too small compared to the, the big realities of our lives and of our world. Too small compared to matters of the economy or matters of sexuality, matters of education or, or matters of suffering. We can think that Jesus is too small in terms of what he can do for us compared to what we can do for ourselves. Compared to our own ability to be happy, to be content, to be fulfilled. We, think, we can think that Jesus is too small compared to the fears, horrors, doubts and current problems that make up our lives, our hearts. But that's why we're going to, over the next few weeks, look together at claims that Jesus makes in the book of John. John is one of four Bible narratives of the life of Jesus. And as John sets out, he's, he's really got one big, he's doing one big thing for one big reason. He wants us to, to look at Jesus. That's his big thing. Look at, look at Jesus. And the big reason for that is that he wants us to, to believe, to trust in Jesus and find life, eternal life. Look at Jesus and believe in Jesus. And in his account of the life of Jesus, John brings out seven times, seven occasions where, where Jesus makes a, a claim, starting with the words, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. And so over the next seven weeks from here, we're going to look at each one of those claims that Jesus makes. And we're going to ask the question, well, who is this Jesus? And should we believe in him? Is Jesus big enough for us? So what I want to do today is to, to set the scene. I want to uh, whet our appetites for what's to come a little bit, but also give us a couple of pointers, a couple of ways to, to break down these, these claims, to understand them properly. Um, because these are, are sound bites. I am the good shepherd. I am the, the bread of life. But to get the most out of them, to understand them properly, we need to go older and we need to go wider. 
to truly understand what Jesus is saying, to truly understand who Jesus is, to decide then, is Jesus worth believing in? So firstly, we're going to look at going older. When Jesus makes these claims, he's doing so 2,000 years ago in Israel, in the Middle East, and he's doing it to, to Jewish people. People who were steeped in the, their, their scriptures, what we now call the, the Old Testament. If you've got a Bible, it's, it's basically the first half, three-fifths maybe. They, they were, this was their, their, their world. They would have had some grasp of, of the laws and the customs found there. But, but more than that, they would have known the stories they would have known the story so well, they would have known them like their own family history. Because that's pretty much how they saw it. This is our story. It's not just a religious book to these people. It's like their family album. Looking at their relatives, going back generations and generations. Looking at the story who made them who they are. And so when Jesus is speaking to them, he uses various phrases and images. And it's like he's trying to, he's singing the the opening words to a song, to a very familiar song. And he knows that people will, will cotton on. They know the rest of the song. Let me illustrate it. Let me, let's try out, try you out. See if you know what I mean. If I, if I start singing like this, yesterday, oh my how many of you joined in? How many of you knew exactly where that was going? I'm sure that the Beatles sang it far better than I did. But that Beatles song, you've only got to get a couple of words, maybe for, for most of us, and we, we know the, the rest. We know where it's going. That's what Jesus is doing. When he speaks in, in John's gospel, and he speaks to the crowd, and he uses the phrase, I am. It's like he's taking familiar opening to a song and everybody listening goes, oh yeah, we know where that goes. We know, we know the whole song. Everybody sings along to the chorus. Jesus is, is bedding in to their common knowledge. And it's, it's like he's saying this. When he says, I am, it's almost in, in the, the original language in the Greek, he's saying, I am. I am. It's the verb to be. But almost doubly emphasised. I, I am. And when his original hearers would have heard that, they would have been transported back to the events of Exodus 3 that we just heard read to us. It takes them back to the meeting of God, the creator God, meeting a man called Moses. And God calling that man, Moses, to, to lead the people of Israel who had been enslaved in Egypt in the original great escape, the Exodus. And you can find that story in the, the book of Exodus. And we heard read to us how God interacts with Moses and, and introduces himself, not just to Moses, but, but to everybody listening in. Moses is, is questioning, what happens when I go? These people are enslaved, but, 
but this is all they've known. What do I do when I, when I, when I turn up? Who do I say sent me? And God firstly says, tell them it's the God of, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You read that in Exodus 3 verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hides his face. But as God reveals more about himself, Moses comes back again. Who shall I say sent me? What, who, what shall I tell them? What shall I tell them about your your name? I can read it in verse thirteen. Moses said to God, "Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them?" And then in verse fourteen, God said to Moses, "I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites: I am." has sent me to you. It's a, a funny, a funny name, isn't it, that God uses? But it becomes the, the personal name of God. This is how God is referred to. If you read a, an English Bible and you see the word Lord in capital letters, that's this name. Maybe you've heard the, the name Yahweh. I am who I am. And it's almost a repetition of that verb to be. It's hard to to translate exactly uh, what tense that should be read in. And in a sense, it could be read in in any way. God is saying, "This this is who I am. I am who I will be. I am who I was. I will be who I am. I will be who I was. God is saying, I have no beginning i have no end i am unchanging i am the god who has always been and the god who always will be that's my name and god is marking out that he is completely different completely different because he's completely the same Nobody else could call themselves this because we all change. We all change from who we were last year, from five years ago, ten years ago. And, and who knows who we will be in, in five years, in ten years. Because we change. Circumstances change us. We, we grow. But God does not. And in this event, God reveals his, his character. As he interacts with Moses, he appears in a burning bush or a bush that's on fire, but is is not burning up the the wood of the bush. And we're told that which shows us that God is is holy. Moses is told to to take his sandals off to indicate that he's not worthy to be in God's presence. Moses is afraid because of that. And we're told that God is the the promise-keeping God, as he reveals that he is the, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. It echoes back to promises that God made to, to that family line, that he would make through them a great nation. He takes one man and makes him into a great family, and then ultimately into a great nation. And he'll give them a land for their own. He will be their God. 
and he will bless them and through them and through specifically one of them he would bless the entire world he is a promise keeping god but he's also a a compassionate god let me go back to to verse 7 the lord said i have indeed seen the misery of my people in egypt i have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and i am concerned about their suffering who is this god well this god is a god who sees and hears and and cares for his people he's not distant he's not set apart he's not uncaring unfeeling but he loves and he acts verse 8 of of exodus 3 what is it that god says he will he will do I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God says, as he speaks to Moses, in view of his people, this family that has become a nation, I've seen them, I've heard their cry, I care and I'm going to save. And I'm going to provide. And God is generous towards them all of this is tied up in those two little words i am this is the god of the bible and so when in john's account of the life of jesus we hear jesus taking those words onto his his lips i am Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming that he is God, that he carries God's name himself, that he bears it, it belongs to him, and that he carries and embodies God's character. That he is the God who hears and cares. He is the God who who rescues and provides and is gracious and abundant, gracious and, and abundant in his provision. Jesus is saying, not just using the the verb I am in the way that we do. I am Ben. I am tall. When Jesus uses these words and and the original language emphasizes this, he's saying, I am that God. And he's proving the point that God is unchanging. Because the events of John's gospel take place somewhere in the region of a thousand to fifteen hundred years after the Exodus and after God meets with Moses. And so Jesus is is showing us that God is unchanging. God is still a God who hears, who acts, who saves. God is still, and we see it in Jesus, the God who cares. And the God who fulfills the promises that he has made. God does not change. Jesus shows us that even more fully. God does not fail. Jesus shows us that even more fully than is revealed in Exodus 3. And so... Hear this now. 
look to Jesus and take heart. The God of creation, the God of rescue, the God who liberates his people from slavery, the God of exodus, that God is Jesus. I am who I will be, he says in Exodus 3. And in John's gospel, we find out I am who I said I was. I am who I was. And now we can say with confidence, Jesus is the God who was and the God who will be. He is still a saving, caring, compassionate, gracious God. He is who he was. He will be who he is. Jesus is the great I am. And we will see that Jesus pulls out as he speaks these great claims. He will cause us to go back and pick up more of who God has taught us about himself to be in the Old Testament. He's going to pull up more of the imagery. He's going to sing other songs that we recognize. So we need to go older. But we also need to go wider as we look at these claims of Jesus. Next week, we'll start with the first claim. I am the bread of life. And we'll see that Jesus doesn't pull these titles out of, of midair. They're not happening in a, in a vacuum. Jesus is not sat in his office, surrounded by books with his camera on a Zoom call, saying, mm, I am... The bread of life. But what we find is that Jesus makes these claims alongside real events, in real relationships, in real times. In other words, they are backed up by flesh and blood evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. So I am the bread of life takes place after Jesus has just fed miraculously 5,000 people, 5,000 men and countless other women and children. Thousands of people have been fed by Jesus on the, on the mountainside. And then, and then he says, I am the, the bread of life. These are not just pithy political statements. I think we've seen recently how um, our, our politicians and, and you know, perhaps us too are, are prone to want to, to simplify things, to come up with a, a slogan that will help everybody to understand, that will get everybody on board. But often there's a lot of, of detail behind these slogans that isn't said and isn't communicated. And actually when you explore beneath the slogan... There's little substance there. And they provide little in terms of positive outcome. Is that what Jesus is doing when he says, I am? I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. Well, no. We need to look at the wider context of these claims. We need to see the, 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 the reality of the relationships and the people that are watching on and, and examining the the walking behind the talking. Because Jesus walks the walk, not just talks the talk. The one who claims to, to satisfy and provide life, he does exactly that in feeding 5,000 people. The one who claims to be the good shepherd has got men and women around him who are following in him and finding that he provides the, the life, the joy that we've been thinking about in Psalm 23. 
The one who claims to be the resurrection and the life brings back a man to life who has been dead, laid in a tomb for four days. Oh, and the one who claims to be the resurrection rises to new life three days after he's crucified. If you're looking in at Christianity, you're looking in at Jesus, what you need to look for is not just a soundbite. You need to look for the evidence. Ignore that caricature of faith being blind. Close your eyes and jump. No, faith in Jesus is based on the evidence. And we'll see that from the wider context of these claims. Jesus backs up what he's saying. And so we want you to look at the evidence. Look at the context. Why is Jesus making these claims and what difference does it make? in the lives of the people he's saying it to then and now. So we're going to need to go older and we're going to need to go wider. But let me return to to John's purpose. That he writes this book, this account of the life of Jesus, so that we will look at Jesus and so that we will believe in Jesus. Last week, our, our Sparks group, Uh, In their uh, activity and their uh, story, they finished with a a, a Bible verse to, to learn. And it was this one from this book of John. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Eternal life in his name. That's John chapter 20 verse 31. John wants us to look at Jesus and to believe in him. Jesus wants us to look at Jesus and to believe in him. And that's why John writes down these the, the events of Jesus' life. He says, I could, I could have included far, far more things. But I've given you these and including that are these I am saying so that you might believe. This is an invitation to come and to trust in Jesus, for he offers life. He offers more than you're currently experiencing. This is a more real and a more serious version of that scene in in Aladdin. Maybe you've seen the the film, going back to the original, where uh, Aladdin and and the princess Jasmine are running away from the, the palace guards. And they get to a point at the edge of a building and Aladdin turns to Jasmine and says, you know, do you trust me? And she has to decide, will she trust him because they're going to jump off the edge of a building? Do you trust me? Do you trust Jesus? This is an invitation by listening to his claims to come and to to examine them, but also then to trust To trust that Jesus will give you a better and more full life than you can manage on your own. Actually, more than that, that Jesus can save you from the death that we are all naturally born into. We are dying people living in a dying world. In the light of a future death that is to come. The Bible is so clear on that. That Jesus has come that we might have life. Will you come and examine the claims? 
Will you come and believe? So this is an invitation, but this is also a reminder. A reminder to go on believing. This is not just a, do you trust me? Will you trust me? This is a, keep trusting me. One of the things that afflicts us as followers of Jesus is the temptation to to independence from Jesus. To become self-reliant, not Jesus-reliant. To think that trusting in Jesus is all about getting a, a pass into heaven and then carrying on and living life by ourselves. And what happens is we become like people who are stood on, on the end of a jetty and they're about to get on a boat. And they put one foot into the boat, but they keep one foot on the jetty. And it's just promising to get messy and promising to get wet, isn't it? As the boat begins to drift away and they're just unsure, they've got a foot in both camps. We as Christians can be like that. We can take our eyes off Jesus and we can stop trusting him. Here's an invitation for the next few weeks for us to to look again at Jesus so that we might believe in Jesus and that we might know more of the life that he brings. In whatever's going on in our life at the moment, the temptation is always there to trust in ourselves and not in Jesus. In hardships, in good times. But Jesus promises eternal life for those who will believe in him. And he achieves eternal life through his death and his resurrection for those who will believe in him. And he gives it freely to those who will receive it. Look at Jesus. He's bigger than you think.